Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is Intelligence Matters with former acting director of the CIA, Michael Morell. Brought to you by Palantir Technologies, foundational software of tomorrow, delivered today. I don't think Kim Jong-un's goal has changed, which is ultimately get the international community to accept North Korea as nuclear weapons power and just live with it. And more and more, we are doing that. Just recently, with this uh, intermediate-range ballistic missile test, even the media doesn't care, the Americans don't care, South Koreans don't care. We are now sort of living with it. So the more they do this, the more they condition international community to accepting North Korea. Sumi Terry is the director of the Center for Korean History and Public Policy at the Wilson Center, a Washington, D.C. think tank. Sue, a former CIA analyst, has been on our program many times before talking about issues related to the Korean Peninsula. We just caught up with Sue to talk again about North Korea. We'll be right back with that discussion after a word from our sponsor. I'm Michael Morrell, and this is Intelligence Matters. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Sue, welcome back to Intelligence Matters. It's great to have you with us again. Thank you for having me on. So, Sue, a relatively quiet 2021 from North Korea. No nuclear tests, only a few missile tests. Now, just in January of this year, we've had we had seven missile tests of varying types. I think we set a record 
for missile tests in one month, including the last one, which was a intermediate range ballistic missile tests. What what explains the relative quiet of last year and the sharp turn we're seeing this year? I think, I mean, first, you're right. This is a sort of record setting, right? This is, uh, Kim has now carried out more missile tests this month than any month since coming into power a decade ago. I think in the past year, it's the first year of the Biden administration, and perhaps North Koreans were sort of seeing where the Biden administration would go. So now it's been a year into it, and they, Kim Jong-un has made a calculation that uh, by just sitting around, uh, Biden administration is not going to really offer them anything that they were looking for, like sanctions relief or anything else. I also think last year was a unique year in the sense that North Koreans are still very paranoid about COVID. The border still remained closed. They were the first country to close the border with China in January 2020. So it was an unusual year. Uh, as you know, they normally greet a new U.S. administration with a barrage of missile tests. They did so with Obama. They did so with Trump. They didn't with Biden. Again, special year with COVID. And I think they were just trying to see where the Biden administration was going to go. And do you know if there was any outreach from the Biden administration to North Korea during that first year, if there were any talks going on of any kind? I don't think there were any talks. I know that the Biden administration tried. They also said that they were they would be happy to sit down with the North Koreans at any time without preconditions. But the North Koreans were not interested. And I, I don't think they were interested because they, they knew just by sitting, just meeting them in that way, um, they're not going to really get anything from the Biden administration that is different. Um, like significant sanctions relief. Also, I think COVID issue does matter. They are very, very paranoid about COVID. They probably, it was not an ideal time to also have meetings. Mm. So I wonder what you think they're trying to accomplish now with this barrage of tests, you know, both, both diplomatically, politically, and militarily. Right. So there's, I think, multiple aims, goals. First, I do think they're genuinely trying to modernize their weapon system, right? So you just mentioned that they tested intermediate range ballistic missile, Pasong 12. This test follows the barrage of other tests, right? That there were three hypersonic missile tests, um, really showing that North Korea is developing missiles capable of delivering nuclear warheads. They would be easier to hide, harder to intercept. Um, and those hypersonic missile tests follows other tests like we've seen in the recent months, like the uh, new train-mounted ballistic missile, submarine-launched ballistic missile, short-range missiles, long-range cruise missiles. And they're all in line with North Korea's broader attempts to diversify its missile arsenal, evade uh, missile defense system. So that they're on, on, on track uh, of doing that. Uh, it's train-mounted ballistic missile for example, makes country, uh, sense for North Korea because North Korea is very mountainous. They have thousands of underground bunkers. They can hide these missiles before rolling them out. And Kim Jong-un has told us he's going to do this, right? He he said mm-hmm. in January mm-hmm. of last year, if you remember the party Congress, that he was going to double down on nuclear program, that he's going to f- strengthen their nuclear deterrence. Um, they had He listed a whole lot of other weapons that he has not yet tested, which concerns me. So there is a genuine reason uh, in terms of they want to modernize and expand and diversify and so on. And then I think 
you know, obviously there's also sh- showcasing strength um, and, and showing defiance to us and internally because they are they have very they are, have a lot of challenges internally. They have food shortages, ongoing food shortages, economic issues, and so this also works domestically. And then when they do ever sit down with with Americans, uh, you know, they they get more leverage, right? Uh, because they've already expanded and modernized their program. So there are, I think, multiple reasons. And I think it's hard to say exactly one reason is behind their recent um, testing. But I'm concerned that they're going to do more. We're just seeing the beginning. So, Sue, the U.S. has responded to these tests in January by trying to get the United Nations Security Council to pass additional sanctions, but those have been blocked by Russia and China. In fact, the Russian and Chinese have argued that we should actually roll back some of the sanctions on North Korea. What's going on on that front, and how does Kim Jong-un read all that? Well, Kim Jong-un, first of all, read the way he reads it is that this is very good for Kim Jong-un, right? Um, he knows that there's not going to be any kind of real coordinated international response, uh, any kind of response from the international community. Um, you know, China and Russia have moved on. We saw China and Russia actually implementing sanction, sanctions, most more importantly, China in the fall of 2017. But since then, since the whole shift to summit and diplomacy, and Trump meeting with Kim, Xi Jinping met with Kim Jong-un five times. Uh, there is no interest in implementing sanctions or even coming up with new sanctions. And the North Koreans know that. So there is no, there's going to be no real repercussion for the North Koreans as they continue on this uh, testing campaign. I think, you know, it, so you can, you can be critical of the Trump administration and its North Korea policy on a whole lot of levels. But one thing that was working, you could say, is that he did uh, pursue maximum pressure. And in, in, the, in the fall of 2017, we saw China actually implementing sanctions, and, and they're not going to do that anymore. And North Koreans know that. You know, you said you think we're going to see more here. And, and I actually wonder to what extent we might be on track for this year, 2022, to be another 2017, right, where a series of shorter range missile tests culminated in nuclear weapons tests and ICBM tests. Is that something you're concerned about? Yeah, no, I'm very concerned about that. Uh, so you saw in 20, we all saw in 2017 when they tested Hwasong 14 and 15 ICBMs into continental ballistic missiles. And then Later, uh, a couple of years later, uh, it was October parade in 2020, they displayed this new untested ICBM, new strategic weapon, they called it Hwasong-16. That's the largest liquid propellant road mobile ICBM, not only in North Korea, but anywhere in the world, right? With capacity to hold as much as triple payload. So there are these kind of missiles that they were certainly want to test. And I think that's, that's where they are headed. And, you know, right now we have Beijing Olympics and there will be, I, I don't think they will test anytime soon until the Olympics is over. Uh, South Korea's presidential election is not as of a factor, uh, but maybe they will wait. And after the presidential election in South Korea, March 9th, then we'll have Kim Il-sung's 110th birthday coming up in April. So I'm very worried or they're on that timeline, they're going to go for something that's much more provocative than intermediate range. 
So, Sue, do you think nuclear tests and ICBM tests would change the dynamic for the Russians and Chinese or not? You know, they may get on board with some sort of resolution condemning the, you know, saying this is very provocative and destabilizing for the region. And perhaps they will begrudgingly sign on to a, a few more sanctions. But I just don't think the level of, like, they're just not going to implement um, sanctions like, the, like they did in 2017, 2020. 2022 is not 2017. It's a very different year, and a lot has happened. And I think it'll be very, very difficult for us to get that kind of support that we got from China and Russia. You know, by, by late 2017, we had like 90% of North Korean exports were illegal, right? Um, we had nine UNSC resolutions. And they, mm-hmm. they already been, you know, most of North Korea's exports, right? Coal, seafood, textiles, and everything else. Um, but they're only effective if, if they're enforced. And again, this is what I'm saying. I think 2017 was a very different period. And China, to everybody's surprise, was actually doing its part after years of dragging its feet. And now I just don't think um, China is going to do that. So, I'm, I'm, so sanctions are not going to be as effective because they're not going to be implemented properly. And would would uh, would nuclear tests and ICBM tests, you know, certainly a military purpose to them, and you know, possibly a domestic political purpose to them? But would they also be designed to try to get us back to the negotiating table? Yes, I or mean, not? yeah, no, I mean, they they are designed because ultimately they do want to have some sort of a deal with the United States. The reason they're not sitting down with Americans right now, besides COVID and all that, is because they know that they're not going to get anything from the Biden administration. But with uh, another nuclear test and ICBM test, the situation, the crisis is more heightened, there's more heightened sense of, you know, crisis. And right now the Biden administration is just completely distracted with a whole host of issues. And that way you can sort of get the attention back to North Korea and sit down properly for yet another round of negotiation and, you know, some sort of, deal. It's not going to be a denuclearization deal, but some sort of a deal that perhaps they would be willing to freeze their program. So what do you think, what do you, I know this is a hard question. What, what do you think Kim's script is, right? Um, His realistic script, you know, how would, how would he like this to play out over the next several years? So, I mean, I don't think Kim Jong-un's goal has changed, which is ultimately get the international community to accept North Korea as nuclear weapons power and just live with it. And more and more, we are doing that. Even I can just even tell just recently with this uh, intermediate range ballistic missile test, even the media doesn't care. The Americans care, don't care. South Koreans don't care. We are now sort of living with it. So the more they do this, they are, the more they condition international community to accepting North Korea like we did with Pakistan. Or, so I think that's the goal, and that's the play. They test, we sit down with North Koreans, have some sort of a freeze deal, that, and then we lift majority of sanctions and accept North Korea as a nuclear weapons power. And they, they, in return, they promise not to make more. And you mentioned this a little bit, but how do you think he sees President Biden you know, as a person, as a counterpart? How do you think they read this administration's foreign policy 
you know, how do you think they read the withdrawal from Afghanistan? How closely are they following the Ukraine crisis? Do you think how does how does how do you think they think about all that? Well, I think first of all, they have they realize that the Biden administration they're not going to have any kind of real big breakthrough as as current currently is. First of all, the Biden administration is distracted, um, and even the the folks that are in the Biden administration, a lot of these people were in the Obama administration. Um, North Koreans know who these people are. There's not anybody that's going to come in and have any kind of different North Korea policy. Under Trump, at least, there was just the extremes that's more outside of the box, you could say, right? Uh, whether it's fire and fury and rocketman on a suicide mission to, you know, love affairs and, you know, beautiful letters, there were just at least ma- true maximum pressure and sort of true uh, engagement. And I don't think the, Biden, they, the North Koreans know that it's, that's not happening with the Biden administration. In terms of whole, a lot of other issues, I don't know what they make of withdrawal from Afghanistan. Do they necessarily think so? You know, I don't think they're necessarily saying, "Well, this that means that they can the Biden administration can make the same kind of play with South Korea." Afghanistan is a very different story and issue. So I don't, I don't know if they're drawing any kind of big conclusion from that. Um, they could also say, you know, the Biden administration is trying to focus in Asia, focus on China by withdrawing from Afghanistan. So I, I, it's, it's hard to know because obviously it, it's North Korea is such a reclusive place and it's, we don't have any kind of information coming out of North Korea. And the only thing I can say is that probably they know that Biden administration is extremely distracted by other issues and they need to sort of make this kind of big splash. Otherwise, you know, nobody cares about North Korea. So they have to they have to resort to provocations. And if I'm Kim, I would draw the same conclusion that by sitting around and not doing anything, there goes the entire, the rest of the Biden administration, just another several years. So, so it's interesting, right? So that, that the Obama administration basically tried to ignore North Korea, didn't work. They pushed their strategic weapons programs forward. The Trump administration you know, maximum pressure, and then actually did exactly what what the North Koreans have said for years, which is sit down and talk to us leader to leader, and we can work this out. That didn't work. They moved their programs forward. With Biden, they seem to think you're saying that that they have Obama too here, um, and they're going to have to wait this out. So to get to what Kim wants, right, which is this negotiation with freeze, sanctions go away, that's going to take a little time, it sounds like, from their perspective. It's going to take time. Is that fair? but they're Yeah, yeah, yes. But in a way, it's working out for them, right? So in the past decade under Kim Jong-un, we, he conducted four out of six nuclear tests, 130 missile launches, and three ICBM tests later. And he's right now making impressive progress on the nuclear missile program. And this is since the Hanoi summit. Uh, they got nuclear warheads, they have nuclear weapons power, right? The number, I think, you know, ranges from 30 to 40, some say are possibly up to 60. Uh, they're producing enough fissile material to make another half dozen bombs a year. All indications are they're they're moving forward. Um, and, you know, the last the round of testing, as we just talked about earlier in the show, with these hypersonic missiles and everything else, they're, they're headed in that direction, you know? And so now if they test Hwasong-16 or even tactical nuclear weapons, which which Kim Jong-un himself said he's developing, 
you know, like what, and there is no response. I mean, we can't even get UNSC to come up with a condemnation of these missile tests. So there is no response. And, and North Koreans know that there's not, there's no military response that's feasible for North Korea. So we are kind of paralyzed. And meanwhile, they're making progress. So in a way, if they just stay on course, they will get what they want, which is that, which is international acceptance of North Korea's nuclear weapons power. And maybe the the sanctions get negotiated away. Maybe they just get um, slowly eroded away, right? Uh, maybe he can get to what he wants either way. Right. So if China does not implement sanctions, because that's the key, then they've been living with it for how many years? So it's right. really China that has to implement sanctions. But again, you know, I go back to the same point that China today is very different. And even 2017, there was one exception. I've, I've, we've seen, you know, China not implement sanctions for decades. So I think they will get there. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back with more of our discussion with Sumi Terry. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So, Sue, I think this is kind of, you know, a key question which is, do you think that Kim Jong-un believes that he can actually use his nuclear weapons in some way, someday? Or are these just the ultimate deterrent against a U.S. invasion and the U.S. and U.S.-led regime change? How do you think he thinks about these weapons, particularly when we start talking about tactical nuclear weapons? I don't think Kim Jong-un thinks that he's going to use these weapons. I, I don't believe that because I think what's established is Kim Jong-un is a rational actor. And he knows uh, if he uses the weapons, that's, that's the end of the regime. And ultimately, that's the whole purpose, right? That's the, that's the goal. That's the strategic aim is, is regime survival. But the concern for us is that once we get to that stage where we accept North Korea as a truly nuclear weapons power, even though they already are, um, then it has complications. That's the implications of that is, you know, we have potential regional proliferation, right? South Korea is already making, some conservatives are already making noise about bringing, you know, tactical nuclear weapons back or South Korea pursuing nuclear weapons and so on. And, And so, and if South Korea goes nuclear, that's Japan, at least the Japanese are saying, you know, that's the one reason that they will have to, you know, revise their constitution and, and, and go nuclear too. So regional proliferation. And then, you know, there's always a global proliferation risk too, because that's how they make money. They sold ballistic missiles and so on. So we are concerned about that. I don't think the concern is actually over North Korea using nuclear weapons. I don't believe that personally. Do you think there's a chance he could he could sell weapons? I think they know uh, that's a true, true red line. But yes, I think, I, why not? I mean, when you look at the past behavior, North Korea has sold everything under the sun except nuclear weapons. But they have, and, you know, they built a nuclear re- reactor in Syria that the Israelis bombed. 
Um, that's how they make money. It's a serious risk, and I think that that no one can deny that's a serious risk, right? Uh, they've, you know, yeah. they they also yeah. said they were mass produced nuclear warheads and ballistic missiles and so on. So how can you say this is not a serious concern? They yeah. they have a lot, you know, they have stockpile weapons, materials, and everything else, and they they have relationship. They had a long relationship with Syria, with Iran, Myanmar. It's a very concerning, you know, issue. And how, how do you think? How do you think the Chinese think about the risks associated with North Korea having nuclear weapons? I don't think they want nuclear weapons. I think that that much is clear. But you know, it's that whole phrase: no war, no instability, no nukes, and in that order. So they don't want North Korea to have nuclear weapons because they don't want you know the missile defense. They they made a huge you know deal out of South Korea bringing that uh, missile defense to South Korea. And they know, you know, that they, they're worried about regional proliferation too. Uh, but do they worry about nuclear weapons to such a degree that they will cause, you know, they don't mind causing instability in North Korea? No, right? They want more of a status quo, more stability. They want the regime to be intact. They want North Korea to exist. So they're not going to do anything to cause regime instability, which means we can't get China to really act on cutting off, you know, North Korea, which might bring North Korea to the table. That's the one thing that might make North Korea reconsider some of some of these just developing weapons. But China is not going to do that. So there is a there is a there is a problem. Yeah. And China certainly doesn't want a united Korea aligned with the United States on its border. Certainly not. I mean, so if you go in a little bit more and of why China does not want unstable North Korea or regime to fall is because they're worried about unification. There will be, you know, a united Korea that's going to look like a giant giant South Korea, basically, Um, even though China is South Korea's number one trading partner and they have a strong economic relationship. They do not want pro-unified Korea that still has U.S. forces in Korea. So yes, I do think keeping North Korea as a buffer is still uh, very much, um, it's, it's important for China. So stability, keeping North Korea as a buffer, these are more important for China than, you know, seeing North Korea give up nuclear weapons. So Sue, let me ask maybe the most difficult question here is, is, you know, if you were calling the shots with regard to U.S. government policy toward North Korea, what would you do about this problem, which seems so intractable? It's such a, um, it's so, it's so hard um, because as I think you talked about this a little bit earlier of what happened under Obama and Trump, but this goes back to Clinton years, right? In early 1990s. And we have now tried bilateral negotiation. We had an agreement with North Korea, 1994 agree framework. We had multilateral negotiations with six-party talks process where we had another agreement with North Korea. So I think it's easy for people to forget that we didn't, it's not that we didn't try to have diplomacy and engagement. We did for many, many years, and we have had agreements with North Korea. And even after having agreements with North Korea, they all fell apart over verification. So it's in now 2022, North Korea is a different country than in early 1990s. They have these nuclear weapons. Um, 
So I don't think we have a whole lot of other options except to do what we continue to do. And it's very, very, uh, you know, dissatisfying for us to say that. And we want to sort of criticize, for example, this Biden administration to say, you're not doing enough, you're not doing more. But when you really think about like what you would do that's so different, it's really hard to come up with what that is. I, I personally am a believer that we should have stayed on, you know, with maximum pressure, minus the whole, you know, talk about preemptive strike necessarily. But, you know, so I am one of those people who, who believe that we just, there's no other option but to continue pressuring the Kim regime. Um, like we did in fall of, you know, in 2017, again, even though it's now harder to do that because China is not quite on board, um, you know, Iran, it took three years of very tough sanctions for Iran to come to the negotiating table. So even for us to have any kind of leverage when we do sit down with North Koreans, we do have to continue with sanctions and shore up defenses and deterrence. And, you know, I've talked to you several times about this before. Mm-hmm. It really, we need a long-term plan. And I'm I'm a very huge proponent of aiding information penetration campaign, trying to get information into North Korea. Um, because I think ultimately the only solution is when the North Koreans bring up the change they, they, they need to. I mean, they, it, the, the country has to change. So, you know, we had many conversations about this. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take another quick break. We'll be right back with more Intelligence Matters. Stay with us. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. So, so great, great transition, um, because I wanted to talk a little bit about domestic issues in North Korea, what's happening there as it relates to COVID, as it relates to food availability. What's the domestic situation like? Well, domestic situation is pretty horrible because, uh, you know, North Koreans close the border with China. As I said, it was the first country to do so, very paranoid about COVID, and it remains closed. So, in fact, you know, this closure has achieved more than, you know, what the sanctions could have in terms of really shutting down North Korea's economy. So they continue to, you know, face food shortages. Um, They have nothing really coming in. And, you know, when you have China providing 80% of North Korea's consumer goods and 45% of its food and 90% of its energy and so on, but there's not, there's, there's no, also Sano North Korean trade is almost like a 90% of North Korea's global trade, but nothing is really coming in. So the food situation is bad. The internet situation is bad. Um, in terms of the leadership, there's continuing concerns about Kim Jong-un's health. Um, in fact, North Koreans recently just had some sort of, um, you know, they're making some statements sort of showing that they're concerned about Kim Jong-un's health. So there's their own admission that something is going on with his health, right? He lost a lot of weight. We still don't have any explanation of what happened and what's happening there. So there are some challenges, you know, and then they continue to go uh, and and spend all their money uh, building their nuclear and missile programs. So 
it's not a it's not a good situation for North Korea. Any any sign of any leadership challenges? Any sign of you know discontent among the elite? No, I mean by the time if we know that something would have already happened, right? Um, yeah, by the time yeah. we think there was a coup happened, then I mean just he got rid of everybody that he could potentially get rid of, right? This is why you know from his uncle Chang Sung Tae to his half brother Kim Jong Nam to you know hundred defense ministers, right? So he got rid of everybody that could potentially pose challenge to him. I'm sure there are some disgruntlement, um, but it's impossible for us to know. And, you know, it's still ruling by terror, right? So Kim Jong-un has really cracked down even more so than his father. There are less defectors leaving North Korea, not only because of COVID and the border closure, but even before that, um, the whole ideological campaign has, he has opted like now, like, I read some article that says that Kim Jong-un's now, like in high school, there's an 81-hour-long course that's devoted to Kim Jong-un's own life and so on. So it's, it's uh, you know, I, I just recently wrote a piece calling North Korea completely a failed state. It's, it's except with, in, in nuclear missile weapons, uh, it is a failed state. It ranks the bot- at the bottom of uh, world GDP. Um, John Hopkins had a report that says, in terms of global health, it ranked like 193 out of 195. It was tied to Yemen. Only Somalia mm. did worse than North Korea. I mean, mm. this he has hard time feeding its own people. How can you not call this country a failed state? Except again, nuclear weapons and missile program. So, Sue, you talked earlier about how probably the only way this strategic weapons program um, evolves in a way that the world would like to see is if if it, if you know, the regime changes, right? If the politics in North Korea changes significantly, how would, how would that happen? What would it look like? I don't think we can force regime change, meaning, except, you know, if we had, if in an ideal world, they were able to truly implement sanctions and press pressure Kim regime and the elites get absolutely nothing too, then maybe the elites were finally do something about it but more so that but i don't think that's likely because we just talked about how china is not going to implement sanctions and not going to cause instability so then this is my whole point about the the people has to bring about that change and of course they can because it's a closed society um and this is where my whole point about we need to continually help bring information into north korea because that's the only way that the country will change right um, it, you know, I know a lot of people think this, that's going to be still impossible because Kim is going to continue to terrorize his, peop- his people, and, and of course he will. But I think it's important to remember, you know, things happened. Like we couldn't have predicted, right. right? Like fall of the Berlin Wall, demise of Soviet Union, you know, like these dictators do, dictatorships do collapse. And sometimes these moments do happen. But I do think, you know, there are, we are, there's also, we are seeing changes on the ground that's very subtle that a lot of people are not seeing. Like there are private markets, like people are, people are surreptitiously watching South Korean, you know, soap operas and DVDs. And, you know, there are more, more, a lot of defectors and there's some, some, well, a lot of defectors, they, they all testify to the fact they've all listened to foreign broadcasts, even though the regime cracks down on it. So if we can somehow, Get take steps to loosen the regime's grip on its people, 
by pursuing information campaign that aims to get information into North Korea and then also allow North Koreans to safely communicate with one another. That's another important factor because they can. There's no internet. There's no nothing. So they can really even safely communicate with each other. So if somehow we can, you know, you can do something about the information blockade, um, you know, it's a, but this is a long-term solution. This is not anything yeah, that's yeah. near-term, of course. So what do you think the, the, the average North Korean thinks about North Korea in relation to the rest of the world? So they were taught and indoctrinated to think that, you know, North Korea is sort of the paradise on the planet, right? And, and for some time, for a period of time, that worked under Kim Il-sung, uh, less and less under Kim Jong-il. I think more North Koreans now know the reality, right? That they are not, the North Korea is not the paradise on earth. They are watching South Korean soap operas and whatnot. So they are more aware of of their situation. But this is why, you know, the Kim Jong-un has to blame the United States and, you know, this have this kind of U.S. is the hostile power that's causing all kinds of problems in North Korea because they need, mm. Kim Jong-un needs United States to point to a country that he can blame all his problems on why his people are not being fed. You can blame the sanctions and U.S. is a hostile policy and so on. This is why I think it's really hard, it's going to be hard for North Koreans to truly make peace the North Korean regime to make to make peace, you know, uh, with U.S. Because how can they then justify the deprivations, you know, of, of his people, right? Like, why are they 198th ranked economy in the world um, if there is peace with the United States and you can no longer blame the U.S. for their problems? So, Sue, you are you are amazing. I could talk to you all day. Um, this has been a great discussion. My takeaway from this discussion, as pessimistic as it sounds, is that, you know, 15, 10, 15, 20 years from now, we're going to have a North Korea that has nuclear weapons and ICBMs. You know, most of the sanctions will have eroded away and South Korea and Japan will have nuclear weapons as well. Is that, am I right about that? Or not? I think that's a worst case scenario, but it's 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 possible. It's certainly um, plausible, but I do think this is why it's very important for us to still not give North, the North Koreans what they seek, which is the international acceptance of North Korea's nuclear weapons power. So it does. So it does not lead to South Korea and Japan trying to get nuclear weapons and so on. It's important for us to also maintain sanctions. Even if with China um, not necessarily doing its part, it's still important for us to, I think, maintain pressure and maintain sanctions. And the I maximum also maximum pressure you talked about. Yes, the maximum pressure. You know, I'm not one for preemptive strike, but something that we saw in 2017. Until, of course, North Koreans are willing to, you know, you, you still have to give an exit ramp uh, to North Koreans. And again, you know, there's a lot going on internally in North Korea, a, a lot on the ground private markets, information seeping into North Korea that's really chipping away at regime myths and, 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 and you know, bringing about some change. So if we stay the course um, and aid that effort, you just never know, right? Um, and also Kim Jong-un is not healthy. And if something were to happen to him, to Kim, that's a real wild card. We, that, that, because he doesn't have a successful lineup. His kids are, you know, at elementary school level. He has his sister, but that's not, it's, it's, it's uncertain what's going to happen. 
Uh, so there is a lot going on internally in North Korea um, that are still, you know, very much war cards. So just stay so calm other, and stay, so the, other, stay, course, yeah. stay calm, yeah. stay the course. Yeah. So, other, so other scenarios to the pessimistic one I laid out there. Yes. 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 Sue, thank you so much for joining us. It's, it's always great to have you on the show. Thank you. It was, it's always good to have this conversation with you. That was Sue Me Terry. I'm Michael Morrell. Please join us next week for another episode of Intelligence Matters. Intelligence Matters is sponsored by Palantir Technologies, foundational software of tomorrow, delivered today. The show is produced by Olivia Gassis, Jamie Benson, Paulina Smolinski, and Ashley Armstrong. For more from this week's show, visit cbsnews.com. Intelligence Matters is a production of CBS News. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them? and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.